Today's TribCast is brought to you by Houston First. Houston's got tech's appeal. Art, tourism, entertainment, conventions. Learn more at HoustonFirst.com. Texas talking, oh, what was that that you said? Texas talking, oh, gonna hoop upside your head. Texas talking, oh, tell me who can you trust when Texas guys are and Texas guys love. Hi y'all, this is Cleve Hattersley, leader of Austin's own Greasy Wheels, here to welcome you to this week's TribCast, which I understand to be some sort of news podcast. I only know that Evan Smith cornered me like a pack of jackals and promised that I'd never see my Pokemon alive again if I didn't do this intro. So, without further ado, here's your host, Emily Ramshaw. Thank you. This is Emily Ramshaw here with the TribCast for the first week of August. I'm joined by CEO and jackal-in-chief. I have been called Evan worse Smith. today than a jackal. I'll take jackal. <laughs> Executive editor Ross Ramsey. Jackal trumps Jagoff, right? Yeah. <laughs> and reporter Matthew Watkins. Can we bring Bobby in to explain to us what Pokemon is? True. We do. We might need a little explanation. Right. I want him to explain what Jagoff means later. Actually, <laughs> what happened to your on. beard? Did you trade uh, your beard to Svitek for Carlos Beltran? What happened? <laughs> Oh, you've Just been under s- the trading deadline? Evan's been saving that joke. Are you? Okay. Yeah. Um, yes. I, I shaved it. You facial hair people. I It'll don't need it. Okay, It'll be back. I couldn't do it. No, you can't grow it? No. I've been working on this beard since I was 15. <laughs> <laughs> one day. One right, day, well, yeah. Keep your fingers crossed. If you're tuning in on Facebook, uh, feel free to shoot questions our way, and Evan will try to address them. Uh, in the meantime— With cuss words. Yes, Like exactly. the Wall Street Journal. Right. right. Um, we're gathering this week on the somber anniversary of uh, the UT Tower shooting, which was memorialized on campus this week. Um, it's also the same week that campus carry becomes law, correct? Same Morgan? day. Same, same day. day. Uh, and, Matthew, and just a coincidence. Yeah, a total coincidence. Uh, Matthew, tell us a little bit about like the mood on campus, what the memorial was like this week, and whether there has been any mention of campus carry in the midst of all this while Evan turns off his phone. <laughs> uh, yeah, we're doing actual business here. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, the uh, memorial was um, Monday afternoon. Uh, the really kind of the biggest recognition of the Whitman shooting that has happened at UT since it happened 50 years ago. Um, a somber occasion, uh, hundreds of people there. Um, I thought a pretty pretty good ceremony. Uh, not mentioned at all during the ceremony was Campus Carry, although apparently I saw on Twitter but not did not see with my own eyes a couple of little signs that people had laid out on campus. Didn't they have a press conference like a half hour before to talk about campus carry That's right. and to sort of put the thing away and then we'll talk about the memorial? That's right. I mean, so how, what's the thinking there that you want to, you know, sort of preserve the dignity of the, you know, this is about the victims and There's, then... They're separate issues. I mean, honestly, I, I'm not entirely surprised and I don't entirely disagree with the decision to disaggregate those issues because you want to get into a conversation about whether a good guy with a gun was in a position to shoot up at the tower mm-hmm. under those circumstances. And I mean, it's it's like ghoulish to, to not honor the memory of the victims totally divorced from politics and policy for at least like five minutes. That's right. right? And, and right. President Finva's, uh, UT President Greg Finva's was very adamant. He never wanted to talk about those two issues at the same time. Yeah. And if you asked him about it, he he would 
he would change the subject. Basically. But, you know, some supporters of Campus Carry do want to talk about those two issues at the same time, because, I mean, you had a really fascinating story this week about, you know, one of the sort of citizens who was helping to take down this shooter. I mean, there were people with guns on campus that day, you know, shooting up at the tower, right? That's right. And, you know, there were police officers on campus that day telling people... Go get your guns. Gun. Yeah, go yeah. shoot back. You know, the, uh, it was a different time. It was a very different time. Uh, uh, I don't know. Well, there Is was it? also a conversation, and it has been a long conversation since, that the shooting from those, you know, police officers and non-police officers kept Whitman down and actually cut the um, casualty toll. Uh, that, you know, after they started shooting at him, he couldn't get the shots off that he had gotten off in the first 20 or 30 minutes, and that they actually, you know, uh, reduced the loss of life and the, and the casualties. That's right. And uh, I, I think that's pretty much the research I did for the story that Emily mentioned. You know, I think that's pretty much hard to dispute that, yeah. um, you know, he had to go from he was shooting over the you know short wall on the observation deck. And once people started shooting back, he was kind of pinned down to these little rain spouts at the bottom, which made it hard for him to, you know, restricted his aim and things like that. And and like Emily mentioned, you know, the focus of that story is on this guy named Alan Crum, who actually went up there with police and was one of the people kind of involved in, you know, storming Whitman and stopping him. Um, but as uh, as y'all mentioned, it was a different time. You know, there were no SWAT teams back then. The police didn't have the kind of weaponry to, you know, put a sniper out to try to stop him. Um, uh, you know, the police officers didn't have walkie-talkies to, to communicate. You know, once they left their squad car, uh, they were kind of on their own, and there was no real—there was never, even when they ended up stopping him, there was no organized plan to get up on that tower and, and shoot Whitman or stop him. So, you know, all those things are different than what would be what would happen now. You know, I, if, if something like this were to happen now, it seems inconceivable that it would last for 96 minutes like it did on campus that day. Right. I thought your story was amazing, and in part because we're so used to these kinds of events being told and retold and retold and retold from every conceivable angle. Right. And yet you found what may be one of the only stories that has largely gone untold mm -hmm. to this point. Now, the Keith Maitland uh, uh, rotoscope documentary uh, Tower, which yeah, I saw was Sunday night, really, Southwest, really good. Yeah. Very strong. I gather it's been edited so that the back third of it, which kind of veered off of the topic of the day and more toward contemporary policy stuff, has been cut back. It's going to have a, a premiere in New York in a couple of months. It's a really terrific movie. And the Alan Crum component of the story is, in fact, a feature of the narrative Right. of the film. Right. But really you did an amazing thing I thought which was to tell a completely fresh story. So, yay. Thank you. Yeah, I mean Good it's job. his story just in and of itself is pretty amazing too. You know, after he did this, you know, there's a question first of all about whether he fired a shot up there on the tower. He was kind of the first you know, good guy up on the tower to fire a shot. There's a question as to yeah. whether that was done on purpose or on accident. Um, and you know, going up there really affected his life. Um, you know, the his son kind of told me that, you know, he seemed to have certain uh, symptoms of PTSD. He had what he described as a thousand yard stare. He ended up leaving Texas a few years later, never came back. Um, you know, that's a kind of another aspect of this that we don't really talk about in the gun debate is kind of what does it mean for, you know, a regular person uh, to to kind of take these things into their own hands, what impact does it have on or, them? Or even an irregular person. You know, one of the stories that has been told repeatedly over the years about the, uh, one of the stories that has been told repeatedly over time about the Whitman story, uh, Whitman uh, events, uh, was the aftermath of that day 
on both Houston McCoy and Ray Martinez, right, who were the cops Mm -hmm. who climbed up the tower. Houston McCoy is now deceased. uh, Ray Martinez is not, right? Right. Ray Martinez was at the screening actually on Sunday. Um, Mm. But, but, you know, Houston um, Houston McCoy's life really did sort of spiral uh, in the years after. Um, So... I mean, I think that's an interesting point. We don't actually hear that part of the story. Right. Right. Well, what are so we have some questions coming in on Facebook about this. But I mean, for starters, what does it mean now that this is officially in effect? When do students come back, and what are the implications for students, you know, on campus? Yeah. Well, um, the you know the law is in effect. There's summer still school going on right now, but obviously not like what it's going to be like on August 24th when classes start uh, across the state. you know, basically, the rule is if you have a concealed handgun license, you can carry your gun concealed on campus. This is not open carry. You can't, you know, be showing people your gun. The the uh, college administrators say if you see a gun on campus, call police. And it requires you to be 21, which it, is what yes. the concealed carry uh, law requires, which means that a dis it's a very small number, right? right. You, disproportionately, this is really going to just uh, older kids, older students. Very small percentage. Yeah, right. you, you can't know for sure how many students have concealed handgun licenses, but UT estimates that it's less than 1%. So one of our Facebook questioners, Jim, asks, if you have to be 21 and have a permit to campus carry, who's going to police it? Well, I, mean, I think it's the same as the you know concealed handgun laws that have been yeah, who polices state. it now? Right. Yeah. Exactly, right. Which is Nobody. basically, yeah, if, you, if you're if you following the law, then no one should know that you have a gun anyways. So, uh, like I said, that if, if someone sees a gun, then they're encouraged to call the police, and that will be handled, and yeah. however the police choose to handle I, it. I was thinking about all the people who are now the sort of industries that rise up around something. So, like, there's always, like, you know, drilling for oil, but then there's oil field services, and there are all these businesses in the shale uh, areas of the state. Um, I saw a story that said that um, uh, University of Houston bought a certain number of thumbprint-activated gun lockers hmm. as a consequence of their implementation of the law. I was thinking all the people Some smart salesmen yeah. travel <laughs> in those sort of vendor yeah. circles. Now, that suddenly, this is an industry that will have risen up around right the implementation right. on not just that campus, but every other one. Now, there is pending litigation around this, right, filed by professors. And, and if that's the case, sort of how, how does that affect, you know, the rollout of this law? Um, three UT professors sued um, in federal court. There's a hearing uh, tomorrow, Thursday, um, about this case. Uh, basically, they're making the argument that it violates the Constitution in several different ways. They say it violates the First Amendment. Uh, rights to academic freedom, basically saying that, you know, these are professors that teach certain kind of controversial, you know, hot button issues in class. And basically the idea being that this will, you know, kind of hurt free and open discussion because are you really going to want to say something that might be offensive or might be taken the wrong way if you're scared that um, someone in your classroom has a gun? Uh, And then just a a handful of other arguments kind of along those way, that way, Um, you know, the as of right now, they're asking for an injunction tomorrow. So it's possible that a judge tomorrow or in the coming days could block this law. I I would say I think most people who have kind of studied this issue say that's pretty unlikely. Uh, There's seven other states that have similar campus carry laws Mm. with uh, 
Can you imagine the, the collective shitting of a brick that will happen if right. a judge blocks this law? Based on I mean, the, the first the political first reaction amendment. to it. Yeah, yeah I mean, crazy. It, yeah. Well, what Paxton has already Paxton already waited. The uh, Attorney General Ken Paxton weighed in on this yesterday. I think calling it you know preposterous or ridiculous or something. What I don't remember what his exact words were, but yeah, he said frivolous. Frivolous. Um, and, yeah. and basically right. just yeah. arguing that you know this this has been litigated elsewhere that there's really no you know disputable legal issues at stake um, in this case you know and we'll see what happens tomorrow but I think even the people who filed the lawsuit would admit that it's a pretty big long shot to actually have this go anywhere right uh, well rem reminder if you're tuning in on Facebook that you can send questions our way in the meantime uh, let's chat about um, what we've seen in the political realm in the last week with the Khan family that um, that spoke out at the Democratic National Convention we were awaiting response from Texans to some of Donald Trump's um, more inflammatory remarks about this family and and what they've gone through uh, we have not heard from many people we heard from Governor Abbott what did he say well, he, you know, Abbott uh, was one of those who said that the, I can't remember his first name all of a sudden, uh, Khan's son was an American hero and should be honored as such, and that, you know, um, kind of said, you know, basically, you know, we shouldn't be messing around in this territory. This was an American hero. This is a gold star family. Leave him alone. Um, I think a lot of Republicans are wondering why Trump is engaged in this in the first place and then has re-engaged and re-engaged and re-engaged. Yep. story cannot, alive for five days. And, and, cannot and, stop and, engaging. Uh, John McCain came out, the uh, I guess, who's been waiting for a year to exact some revenge here. You know, right. a year ago, Trump said that John McCain was a pal and that people who'd been captured in war were not heroes. Right. Um, I like the ones who aren't captured, I think he right. said. Um and McCain Is came out a with Trump a Trump impression. That was kind of no, a weak not really. Impression. It's better than Cain. Still better than, than Cain's, yeah. right? Um, you know, uh, came out with a really strong statement on why this was wrong and why Trump should basically put a put a cork in it. Um, Abbott more or less agreed with that. As you say, everybody else is staying out of it. I think a lot of Republicans yeah, are in a place it, where, they're, it, it, where they're uncomfortable with this, but they don't want to repudiate their candidate because it you know, it accrues to the benefit of Hillary Clinton. Well, that's the point. Abbott and McCain and a whole bunch of others have said, I find this outrageous. I don't support him right. uh, saying this, but I will still vote for him. Right. I mean, right. and that comment wasn't obviously specifically laid out there, but I think Abbott took a pretty hard line, honestly. I mean, I, you but don't- But Abbott is still supporting him. Well, he stuck his head out of his shell while all the other turtles are just sitting there. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> Where is where is you know veteran in chief gov former governor Rick Perry who is saying he might right. want to serve in an administration? You know Dan Patrick has said he's a big supporter. He's supporting Trump, and you know he has not spoken publicly about this. Well, have we called them? Yes, we have. And, yeah, we have. And, and we they said we they did not. Thanks respond. for calling. Yeah. Right. So you know, I mean, I think it's, it's a little interesting pink while to you see. were out slip somewhere. It's interesting if if a Democrat had said this, I mean, they would be outraged. Well, I think well, if you a know, Democrat had claimed that the NFL sent them a letter saying that they objected to the debate schedule, mm -hmm. and then it was proven mm -hmm. within twenty seconds what's, that that was a, a what's lie. What's interesting about this is they would be jumping a, on a Democrat. Right. Th this campaign is not being run in any way that looks anything like. A predictable conventional campaign. Not, the usual right. rules don't apply. Of course. What's interesting you know, about this crazy. though is that you know, I mean, you would expect the partisans to attack the other person if they disagree with them. What's unusual about this is that you've got a bunch of Republicans who 
disagree either vocally like McCain and Abbott or quietly who are kind of holding fire because it's their candidate. But don't you think in a couple of cases, like let's talk about Senator Cruz, for instance, who to my, my knowledge has also not spoken up on this. No, subject. I mean, you got to imagine Ted Cruz sitting back well, like the cat who ate the canary. He's so just I'm, looking better and better for not yeah. endorsing it. It looks right? like, you know, somebody tweeted out a picture of John Boehner last night uh, after uh, Hulskamp, the uh, congressman who had opposed him and ultimately was a big architect of his downfall as speaker, uh, lost his primary. And so somebody who was a Boehner ally tweeted a picture of Boehner lifting a glass of Merlot. (laughs) That's kind of Ted Cruz's, I suspect, Ted Cruz's view, a glass of Merlot up. If your enemy is self-destructing, stand out of the way, right? That's like the number one rule of wartime. Ted Cruz could not have asked for a better meltdown in the days after the Republican convention. I mean, you know, Ted Cruz was the one who was getting all this sort of negative press for being the guy who wouldn't endorse Trump and, you know, was there doing it for his own benefit. And now he sits back and watches Trump attack a gold star I seem to remember a a conversation on the podcast about whether this was a good thing or a bad thing. Well, we're in a holding pattern between— I was in team Ted Cruz Hold your schadenfreude for a second. (laughs) Ross and Freud. Yeah. We were, you know, we're in this holding pattern where I really think this actually does remain to be seen, whether what Cruz did was smart politically or dumb politically. And it depends in some large measure on how Trump performs from here. And well, right now, Cruz yeah. is looking really good because Trump's performing in a bad way. Like I said before, Cruz is going to be the one who made the smart and, you know, noble uh, move and didn't endorse him, principled. And- Either that or he's the second string quarterback who burned his jersey. And we'll wait to see. Yeah, you also see uh, Trump saying yesterday to the Washington Post that he's not ready to endorse Paul Ryan, which, aside from just being some great trolling, yeah, what, right. you know, it, it kind of goes along with the, um, you know, how can you criticize Ted Cruz for not endorsing Trump when Trump himself isn't endorsing? But, but it's even, yeah, yes, Matthew, absolutely. And, and times 10, times 10, if you read the transcript... The, the Washington Post released the actual transcript. Oh, this the is the interview. editorial board being right. No, no, this was an interview with Philip Rucker, the post, mm-hmm. uh, the post reporter who interviewed him for 50 minutes. If you read the transcript, Trump basically is inviting Phil Rucker to ask him about Ryan so that he cannot endorse him right. using the same phrase that Ryan used to not endorse Trump. You know, I'm not there yet, right? I mean, this is this is like world class trolling. It is the trolliest troll of all trolls in the history of trolling. And then he kicked a baby out of a rally. I mean, in the transcript from that. Thank is... God you said that of a rally. I thought you were like, what did I not miss? And now he kicked a baby. <laughs> yeah. Well, it wouldn't like, be that big face? of a surprise. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's but, uh, this campaign is remarkable. So then the question is, nothing. Every, does this actually affect voters in any way, or is this only an internal Republican? I think fight? his ceiling of 40 or 41 percent, wherever he's basically been frozen. Wait, wait. Last summer, the ceiling was 29 <laughs> percent. Well, it was it's a, climbing. Different times. I, th- I, I think the people who are for Trump, if he had actually kicked a baby— I'm with Trump on the baby. That baby was loud. Well, you have a baby. (laughs) Yeah. You have a baby. She's loud. You guys want to tell me that you would not kick at moments your own baby out of a rally? They'd walk out in the hall. But it was Come how, on, admit it. Your wife's not listening to this. Podcast. It was how he did it, though. It was first he said, I love babies. Babies cry. It means they're nice, healthy babies. And get then your baby the ba- out of the room. And then the baby keeps crying. He's like, you didn't know I was kidding? You know, get the damn baby out of the room. I, I love your daughter. She is adorable. But here comes a big however. I right? would kick her out of this podcast in a minute, wouldn't well, you? Well, I would kick I would, you out for playing on your phone the whole podcast. 
I wouldn't take my baby to a political rally. That sounds way too difficult. That's an interesting yeah. question. Which is more that's, annoying, that's, a that's baby that crying or me? Like, you know. <laughs> no, I mean, well, it's a toss-up. Right, right, exactly. You actually. I want to talk to the parent <laughs> who took that kid to a Trump Matthew, rally right now. Matthew, <laughs> how much do you hate your kid? Right, <laughs> Matthew got it right. Why did the parent bring the baby to the rally to begin with? Funny. You're so responsible, Matthew. <laughs> Matthew is a good person, unlike the rest of us. All right. Well, for the first time in, I think, 40 years or something like that, Texas has an independent in office who we just learned before this Tribcast uh, got fewer votes than uh, there were readers of the story. Well, we in fact, the it. best part, John Reynolds, the great John Reynolds, do you know who the last independent to serve in the legislature was? Uh, it was a Ethan relative Hawk's of Ethan grandfather. Hawk. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> now, the reality is he was a Democrat. He served for five terms in the legislature. He was a Democrat the first term. Then he became an independent. And then he went back to being a Democrat for three terms. So he served for one term as independent, but still. I actually hilarious. had no idea that Ethan Hawke's family had a political history. Ethan Hawke, yes. Ethan, Ethan Hawke comes have. from a, a – uh, he's a legislative kin. Isn't hmm. that great? Uh, well, tell us about our new independent in the legislature and how long or short this person will be in office. They're not going to serve for five minutes. You know, the legislature comes to meet in the sec- on the second Tuesday of January with representatives and senators elected in November – and the winner of this primary or of this of this uh, special, special election is not on the ballot in November. So, well, the, so how would you? Why do you get? You I get mean, a stub term. You serve the stub term. Um, you know, you do the constituent services. I guess you can. You know, get the grand tour of the of the dome. You can yeah, go you, up you on don't, the dome. Do you get right? an office? They'll let you take. Yeah, <laughs> you do actually. So they give you an office. Right, for... you get the office of the person who left. Ruth Jones McClendon's office is still there. So. Um, this you're in office on the ballot in November. You're in office for a while. Right. I think you know it's just somebody who signed up for this and didn't sign up for that. But why would you sign up for one? What's the point of signing up for one and not the other? Does she think she's getting a pension now? The, no, but right. this is this is actually the greatest Does way to serve. Paid? You know, I was a state representative and I didn't have to go through all that. Right. I mean, so do you <laughs> so like? She, so this person will leave office on you know, when they take the oath. Did she campaign? Do you campaign if you're only going to be in office for a couple months? Sure. So honestly, I I, I don't want to. There, there, there is a pretty good what handful of people. What kind of a schmuck runs as a Democrat in a special election in San Antonio under these circumstances and, and lose. loses to an independent? Right. Well, we, we've talked before about what a cluster, Jim Hogan thinks this guy's a schmuck. What a That's how much of a San schmuck Antonio this is. It's, it's, you know, this is non-representational democracy. Nobody votes. Um, and, and when nobody votes, anything can happen. Right. Just cite the very statistic, <laughs> Emily. Cite it. I did cite it just a minute ago. You were probably on your phone. I probably was. You cited the <laughs> statistic? That there were, I think, some like 1,200 voters in this particular election, and that was fewer voters then read our story. Have already read the story. Yeah. By the beginning of the podcast, yeah. 1,700 people had read the story. So, you know, if so people Patrick's don't... Patrick's VTech has basically been elected. If relatively few people <laughs> vote, then relatively know. few yeah. people can turn an election. And in this case, you know, you only needed, you know, probably what was the marginal difference between these candidates. A couple hundred people get, you know, everybody on Elm Street and to vote for you and you're done. Bobby says turnout was less than 1%. Right. Right. And Bobby is always right. Well, and in this 1%. case, you got to say the, the voters were, you know, arguably right because they're electing somebody yeah. to a stub term who's not really going to represent them when the legislature meets. Let's concentrate on November. I don't have time for that summer mm-hmm. game. Oh, right. The voters would have given more of a crap had it only not been a stub well, term. Well, I mean, the, the turnout's going to be much higher in November as it was much higher in the primaries. But, but every single special election over the last two years in San Antonio has been some version of this. Chaos? Well, and, and like freakishly low turnout. L- freakishly yeah. low turnout. Um, I don't think Ina Minjares, mm-hmm. uh, who is serving now and is up for re-election, I think may in fact have already been re-elected because right. she has no major party opposition. When Ina Minjares got, re-elect- got elected to succeed Trey, right. Martinez Fisher, in a special election, 
it was like like two thousand people voted. It was like some it was like two percent, some crazy low turnout. This has been the, the problem with San Antonio special elections over the last. Well, that's years. how it works. If you were a political consultant in San Antonio and frankly in a lot of other places in the state, and you were looking at special elections, there's a particular strategy that hinges on these low turnouts and on those few, uh, the few of the proud who always vote, right? And you can you can shrink the number of people you have to market a candidate to or a campaign to. Concentrate on that, and you know, win your campaign. Well, it, it, I mean, it just is like the Democrats don't need this. The Democrats are so beleaguered in this state that they don't need a headline that basically says the Democrats can't even right. win a race in which no Republican is running. They don't need that, right? Pro- I mean, probably not. But you know, who noticed? But let me, but let me, but let me ask you a question. So, is there a Republican on the ballot in this race in the fall? Do I don't you know, know the answer okay. to that. Yeah. It is sort of generally thought that in the congressional race in San Antonio, Pico versus Will Hurd, and then in the legislative race in which you had uh, Joe Farias previously, right. you've got Tomas Uresti running against John Lujan, who won the special election Republican. And who has the problem now of being a Republican in a district that in statewide races votes about 16 points Democratic. But is it a dead certainty that the Democrats are going to be able to take these seats back in a presidential year? Not a dead certainty, but it's you know. Like I don't know. Lujan, that, Lujan's got a very hard ride here. Yeah, I mean, I, I, my reaction to San Antonio elections is I'll believe it when I see it. Right. Right. All right. Well, let's transition to talking about two of my favorite things: uh, Mark Cuban and Pittsburgh. <laughs> What's the latest from Mark Cuban? So first, so he he has said he'd be open to serving in the administration of either Hillary Clinton well, he said or that. That Donald was Trump. So five weeks so ago. So five weeks ago, right. and now. Well, he came out the other day and endorsed Hillary Clinton and in Pittsburgh. In Pittsburgh and called his his home his hometown hometown. He and eats French fries on a salad. Actually, that was that was the newest that thing to me. Good. I didn't realize he oh, was a Pittsburghian or whatever they call themselves. Pittsburgher. Evan, actually, Pittsburgh is perfect for you because Why? well, the, because of French fries on salads. Those are all things you can eat. Also, Franco Harris. I'm a Franco Harris fan. <laughs> I don't know. Um, so, so he called. Uh, you uh, realize uh, there's a, a group of Cowboys fans outside waiting to see you. Oh, did you see? By the way, during Democratic convention, it's, de- it's, Senator, Des, it's Des Bryant. Senator <laughs> Tammy Baldwin from Wisconsin referring to. The Green Bay Packers said, "Home of Green, home of the Green Bay. This is during the delegate, uh, uh, home of the Green Bay Packers, America's team." Uh oh! And everybody went. Wait, that sounds right. Get a rope, <laughs> right? Um, so uh, Mark Cuban in Pittsburgh, using a Pittsburghian locution, according to Urban Dictionary. Right. Uh, You'd never referred, heard the phrase. Referred to. I thought the phrase was Donald Trump as a jagoff, and of course, the great thing was that we had an internal conversation on email prior to this being published. Is jagoff really a word? It's a word. Is jagoff one word? Is it hyphenated? Is it two words? That's what you do in journalism. That kids, when you go into journalism, right. is this those in are the, the kinds of meaningful right. conversations. Where does that word come from? Do you really need me to tell you this <laughs> no. honestly? You want me well, to then tell you where babies come from because it's related. I, uh, apparently, that's not. Oh where yes, it ask, from. That, ask no. nice guy McGee over here I, I, to embarrass himself. Can I just tell you? You right. need to look it's, it up because it, that's apparently not where it comes from. It's not what you think. Yeah, it's not what you think. It's not jack off. It's, I I insist it is. Pittsburgh native Dave Tarrant claimed claims on Twitter that it's it's not that. Well, what does it mean? What does it mean then? Look it up while we're talking remember. about this. I'm look, I'll it look it up. <laughs> look it up. There is. I don't want to be on my Siri, phone during the see podcast. See if Siri gets her first podcast appearance. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Here, let's do it right now. On the, let's do it on Facebook. So Live. how do things Wait, go? Wait. Hold, hold on. Okay. Here, here you go. Here you go. Right. So how do things? Siri, what does jagoff mean? Oh, great. 
Let's see what Siri says. Siri's response is great. (laughs) (laughs) That's not what it means. So how did things go so wrong between Donald Trump and his recent friend, Mark Cuban? Oh. I have an answer. This this is according to Wikipedia, which... We trust. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) We need to put up one of those uh, PG-13 warnings on the TripCast now? No. No, it's not. It is uh, derived from the Northern British Isles. Uh, from the word to jag, which means to prick or poke. So I'm right. No. <laughs> <laughs> nobody. It's like an annoyance. It's like. According to a professor sure at Carnegie Mellon, nobody thinks of these derivatives of jag as obscene. Sure, I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure that's the case. So when so a kid in New Jersey refers to his teacher as a jag off, I'm sure he actually means, oh, he's an annoyance. <laughs> he's from Pittsburgh. I'm sure that's the case. If you're in Pittsburgh, you can say it. You know, as you're, as you're working you as an actor. This is like people denying that schmuck means penis. I mean, come on, it is I, what it is. I did not know. I didn't know that well, either. Into the mind of Minolta here. Where are the where are the where are my Jews I at? We talked about how we come were on. Going. Where are my fellow Jews I at? We on this about we're going to be less crude on the podcast, not you're, more. You're, you're moderating. <laughs> Evan is impossible to moderate. Um, it's the first true thing you've said in 20 minutes. That's so, right. so Mark Cuban at one point <laughs> Mark in this Cuban thing referred said, to him as a general. Well, at one point, a few, you know, low those many weeks ago, he was saying, you know, I would consider being a vice presidential candidate to either one of these people if they would listen to me. <laughs> Thanks. Right. Get back to you on that one. Right. 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 Which sounds a little bit like Alexander Haig. But, um, so it sounds like Mark Cuban doesn't exactly – it's not political. I mean, you right. know, it's not about sort of principles or stances. It's Oh, it's like Meg right. Whitman and, last right. night uh, endorsing nice Hillary – it's like Meg Whitman endorsing Hillary Clinton. They're looking at Donald Trump. They're looking at Hillary Clinton. They're looking at Donald Trump. They're going, well, the this Cuban, guy? Really? The I don't Cuban think it's Trump about thing. issues. I mm-hmm. think it's about temperament. I think right. this one's about reality TV. It sounds like the Cuban Trump things. it sounds like two reality – TV stars. Cuban, uh, Cuban more or less said as much. My show had be- much bigger ratings than his did. You know, you know, it sounds like a couple of guys messing around on TV. I'd rather vote for right. whoever wins American Ninja Warrior. <laughs> or that lady from the Real Housewives with the lips. What's her name? Teresa. I don't, her name lips. I don't know. I don't. I only watch American Ninja Warrior. <laughs> yes, yes, yes I'm, I'm sure. You, I'm sure that's all you watch. No, but but I think the significance of this, as it ties to Michael Bloomberg, Warren Buffett, Meg Whitman, is. There's a billionaire Republicans for Hillary or billionaire moderate Republicans or whatever for Hillary group that is assembled um, uh, believing that Donald Trump is unfit to be president. And so the jag off, I don't think Meg Whitman would have used the word jag off. All those people cast aside by the Bernie Sanders, not the billionaires campaign are now coming home to the Democrats. Yes. Democrats, (laughs) party of the people. All right. In one one minute, give us the Cliff's Notes versions of all the uh, of the big fundraisers that are headed to Texas presidential fundraisers. Shall I use no verbs to keep it quicker? Sure. Okay. Kane, Austin. Trump, Austin. Raise money. Feel good. Oh, wasn't right. somebody in Fort Worth and Dallas? There's uh, Kane's probably going to be in Dallas and Fort Worth. Too, right. but we're going to see all the we're going to see all the yeah. presidential campaigns <laughs> and all four of the candidates, president, and vice president, <laughs> running through Texas, dragging a sock, because that's what Texas Te- is. The good T for, and ATM money. stands for Texas. This is the you know that it's not a competitive state. It won't be a competitive state in the fall, but it does have rich people who like to give money, and so Democrats will raise money for Kane. Republicans will give and raise money. For Trump and and hopefully they'll here. all support the Texas Tribune. Hey, come to the festival. Yep. All right, that's all the time we have. If you have questions or comments, you can email them to tribcast at texastribune.org. You can also sign up for Tribcast alerts at texastribune.org slash tribcast. Thanks to Shiny Ribs for doing our music. And on behalf of Evan, Ross, Matthew, and our producers, Todd and Bobby, this is Emily. Thanks for listening. Texas talking. Texas talking. Texas talking. Texas talking. Texas talking. Texas talking.
Talk to Todd about that. Yeah. Talk to Todd. <laughs> I don't want to talk to Todd. 